you may have noticed, uh, or you might not have noticed, that there is sort of a, a theme or a path that we were going through in this discipleship series. Uh, we began focusing in the first five or six sermons on us as disciples and the joy that we have as disciples and how disciples are people who find joy in Christ, and that's really what discipleship is. And that's kind of the easy side of discipleship when you think of disciple-making. We, we're good at, as Christians at working on ourselves. We don't mind that so much. We come to church and we're among Christians and we read the Bible and we work on our own sense of self as disciples. We join small groups. We do Bible studies. That part of discipleship is is good and, and we do that pretty well. And then in the last four sermons or so, I've shifted uh, on this trajectory of discipleship away from us as disciples to making disciples. And this is where generally we don't do quite as good. That you know, the idea of, you know, I'll read the Bible and I'll pray and I'll go to a small group and I'll go to church with other Christians and all that's great, but don't necessarily ask me to go and fulfill the great commission of it as I go, bringing the gospel to the people around me. That is a little more uncomfortable, that side of disciple making. And we looked at the great commission and, and, and last week we looked at the joy that is there for us in making disciples and, uh, uh, it's so refreshing to hear that the music team, at least, is listening to my sermons and remembering what they're about. I hope all of you are. It was such an amazing summary of last week that we got from Allison. But uh, the joy that is there for us in the, in the message that we have and in seeing people come from darkness to light and seeing them grow in the faith and the reward at the end, there's joy there in discipleship. But as we wrap up this series, I wanted to go back to the Great Commission And I wanted to look at one specific aspect of it and uh, hopefully leave you with a strong encouragement and then a call to action in this mission that we have of disciple making. And so today I'm taking a closer look at Matthew 28, 18 to 19. Again, we're going back and revisiting that and, and hopefully encouraging us by what it means in these verses. Specifically, uh, that it says in Matthew 28, 18 to 29, if you turn there, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so when you're reading that verse, it's, it's quite tempting just to stop right there because if all authority has been given to Jesus, and you've never read this before, then it doesn't matter what he says next, right? So he opens up with his disciples and he says, All authority has been given to me. And at that point, if you're quick enough, you're thinking, it doesn't matter what he says. He has all authority. He's speaking out of all his authority. He created the universe. He exists outside of the universe. He exists outside of time. He has spent, uh, he has all of the past and all of the present and all of the future under his control and is in authority everywhere with all power and all of that power and authority of God has been given to Jesus. And so it doesn't matter what Jesus says next. After saying that, we're going to be confident in it, right? But what does he say next? After all authority having been given to him, this is what he says. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so when we looked at that a few weeks ago, we looked deeper into the verb used there of, of going, that, that when the word go is used there, it certainly means to go out into the world, to go as missionaries like the Hinds that we're praying for this month to pack up and go to the different nations of the world, but also that the phrasing there in the Greek literally is as you go. And so it's not only going as a missionary goes, but rather it's being on mission as you go about your life. 
So as you go through life, be doing these things. Be making disciples. And so all Christians are on a disciple-making mission. All Christians are about sharing the gospel and sharing the truth of God in order to bring people into the kingdom of God. And so the mission field is your home. And the mission field for you is your place of employment. And the mission field is the park across the street and the tennis court and the hockey rink. The mission field is your neighborhood. And so we have this great commission that we're given. And today what I want to do is focus on and expand on what we talked about before, specifically this idea of all authority or all power. And how does that apply to us in our lives in the context of being disciple makers or in the context of evangelism? How deep does the power and the authority of Jesus go in our life in terms of how we are equipped in order to be able to evangelize. And I hope that that's encouraging. I want to give you two specific focuses of encouragement of God's authority at work in your life, maybe in a way you never expected how deep it goes, and then leave you with a final call to action to evangelize out of the encouragement of God's authority and Jesus' authority in your life and what he's done. And the, the two encouragements are, we are uniquely made... And that's God's authority informing us. And we are uniquely placed. And that's God's authority in our past and our present and our future. And thirdly, we have a unique story, which is God's authority in our life, which is our call to action to share it. And so first of all, let's look at this idea that God has authority or God has power and Jesus has been given this authority and Jesus is God in how we are uniquely made for this task. If it's Psalm 139, 13 to 16, if you want to Turn there in your Bibles or tap there on your smartphones. Psalm 139, 13 to 16 specifically says, For you were formed, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That's just one little snippet out of Psalm 139. You can read that whole psalm. It's, it's David's ode to the knowledge that God has of him and God's work in his life here, as we see, even before he was born. And so the first thing we can look here is, as we consider being knitted and made and woven together in our mother's Room. I, I want us first to understand how God is at work apart from the biological realities, but not denying the biological realities. Okay, as as Christians, uh, this is what it means, sort of theologically. In, in as Christians, we're not deists. We don't just believe that there is some sort of God of the universe or a universal power that created the universe and uh, He made the stars and he made the earth and everything in it and the plants and the animals and then this God somehow just kick-started the engine so that all the biological processes would begin and now God is just hands-off. He's just a, a cosmic watchmaker. He, he wound up the watch and it just runs. That's what a deist is. They believe that there's a God but that he's not involved. But we don't believe that as Christians. We believe all the biological realities. God created the universe he made everything that is. He fine-tuned the universe to a precision that even scientists today cannot fathom how finely tuned over 20 
25 different cosmological constants and biological truths have to be precisely the way they are for the universe to run the way it is. We believe all the science and biology and that God did all that, but we believe more than just the biology. That God certainly created all of this, as this text explains, this miraculously detailed and sustainable biological world, but as Christians... We understand that God is not apart from the biology, somehow just standing back and watching it. As this text from David in Psalm 139 explains, that God is also still at work behind the biology for His good pleasure and for our joy. And so we understand the biology. We know how babies are made. Okay, We're not in the dark on that. But we also see here that we know that God is doing things beyond the mere biology. It says that we're knitted together and that He's fearfully and wonderfully made. He talks about my frame. My frame was not hidden from you. And so when He talks about our frame, it refers to how we're put together. We're all granted a unique physique and a specific set of physical and mental attributes and abilities that God was sovereign over, that God was in authority over as you were being conceived as you were growing in your mother's womb, right? We have physical and mental characteristics that come out of the biology, but God was at work behind the biology to form us to be who we are. I mean, one thing that's true of me and just my physical makeup is that I can be loud and I can be forceful. I can be forceful with both my voice and my mind, right? It's not always to my advantage that that's true. In fact, when there's any trouble with the microphone... I don't even really need this to be able to talk to this many people. I could talk like this for hours because God has given me a powerful voice. And I can be very forceful. If any of you have tried to argue with me before, you will know I can be very forceful with both my voice and my thoughts and mentally. And so I don't really need the mic if I didn't want to use it. I could just talk like that all the time. And so God has made me that way and it's it's not to an advantage because you were a little bit scared there, weren't you, when I started to talk like that? Right? It... I can scare people. I can scare myself sometimes. But it gets me into trouble the way I was born sometimes. But at the same time, God knew and knit me together and my frame is effective for the ministry that God's called me to in my life. Because He's called me to this and I was not expecting to be up here. When I started out as a young man, I never thought I would be standing up here. But I understand that God was at work behind the biology to equip me physically and mentally biologically for the work that I am going to do. God physically made me able to project into a room or to an audience or to a congregation. And this is how God is at work in all of us. God has given us all physical and mental biological attributes that he has equipped you with by his authority in how you are made for his good purposes. But it goes beyond just that. He says, your eyes saw my unformed substance, our personality types, God is not deterministic. We have free will, but God has seen our unformed substance and shaped our personalities and our character. Not just our physical attributes, but who we are as a person. And if you're parents of multiple kids, or you know families with many kids, you know that those kids can have the exact same genetics. They can come from the same biology. They can even grow up in the same environment with the same rules, and they are totally different people. 
Because it's more than biology. It's more than environment. It's more than rules and guidance. Who we are is formed by God. Some kids are fearless and others are caring. Some are talkative and others are thinkers. One is an academic, another is a sports nut, and a third one is a builder. Same genetics, same environment, same household, totally different people. And you can't explain it. You don't know why they are that way. You can't even, you know, sometimes that kid comes along, you can't even think of anybody in your whole family that's like that kid. Right? They're just like the weird one. You know, it's not like grandpa, not like grandma, not like uncle, not like anything. Like nobody in my family is like that. But this is God's authority in working in who we are. This is what Psalm 139 is talking about. That God's authority in your life is working far deeper than maybe you even realized. That when it says all authority has been given to Jesus and you can go and do this mission, understand when, when I say that all authority has been given me, when I say that I'm God, I mean that I have actually put you together in the womb for the mission that you're going to be on. So don't worry about it. I've got you. I've decided how to make you. And I mean specifically, you know, all of you. You're made the way God wants you to be for your mission. He's made you specifically, personally, intentionally for His purposes. And it's only you that's like you. He has uniquely made you. And why has He done that? It says, the days that were formed for me when they were, when as yet there was none of them. God who is outside of time, God, and you have to understand this in terms of the authority of, and the power that's in God and in Jesus, that, that God hasn't just seen tomorrow. He hasn't just foresaw what tomorrow is going to be. God is already in tomorrow. He's already there. He's outside of time. He knows all the days that he has for you. And knowing all the days that he has for you and in store for you, when still as yet there was none of them, he's built you physically and mentally and emotionally and personally. All of it is built into you by God behind the biology of what is going on. And that's why it's wrong for us to want to be someone else. Like if you sit there and you say, oh, I I just wish I wasn't the way I was. I I wish I was somebody different. It's actually a sinful thought. It's a a wrong against God. It betrays some belief that, that God made some sort of mistake with you that as he was knitting you together in the womb, he somehow got distracted and, you know, whoops, didn't mean for that. Well, we'll just let it play out, you know. No, God has made you for a purpose And he had all authority and all power over all the things that were going into who you were going to be. Now one of the things that flows out of being uniquely made in that way is a unique trajectory on your life. In other words, how you were made and how you function in all your personality and all your physical capability and mental capability establishes a certain path in your life. You understand what I'm saying? right? There's there's not many doctors out there who are not type A personalities. Right? Most doctors, and I know I've got some people here who've worked with doctors, and you, you know that, that most doctors out there are type A's, right? They want to know how things work, how to fix them, they're very linear, how to get things done. There's not too many grade school teachers out there who are not nurturers. There's not very many empathetic lawyers. I mean, maybe there's a few, but they really just got to get the job done. And there's very few clumsy carpenters, or at least with all their fingers. And, but, but you see what I'm saying here is that 
that to do where you are, the trajectory that put you where you are comes out of these two things that God built into you, your physical makeup and your unformed substance, your personality. And so one of the things that flows out of God's authority in creating us the way we are is the trajectory of life that it has put us on. That, that we have, God has made you and put you on a path that puts you into a certain domain of society of which the people and who and how we will be relating to different people. Because of how he made us, because of how he formed us, he's put us on this path to be surrounded and in part of a domain of society that's unique to us. Which leads to the next area of our uniqueness, which is also part of, part of God's authority, in that we are uniquely placed. And it comes out of more than just the fact that he has wired us a certain way, or that he has given us a certain temperament, or he's given us certain passions so that he's put us on a trajectory to be a welder, or a doctor, or a carpenter, or a teacher, or a ministry of natural resources worker. Those, the trajectory we're on is all true, but it, his authority goes deeper than that. It goes deeper. If you turn with me in Acts 17, in Acts 17, 24 to 27, it talks about the sovereignty and the power and the authority of God in exactly where we're placed. Starting in verse 24, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is not far from each one of us. Notice what it said there. God has determined and allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. The time and the place that you live has been allotted to you by God. The boundaries and times in which we live are established by the authority of God. And so wherever you are, there you are by the authority of God, and there is where God is at work through you. God has put you in a time and a place to participate in what God is at work at there and then. And so you ask yourself, what is God doing in Halliburton today in 2016? God has put you in Halliburton today in 2016 to be a part of what he is doing here. He has determined the allotted periods and set the boundaries of the dwelling place of men. And so the reason for his placing us in a particular place and in a particular time, notice the reason he gives is that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find them. In other words, God uses his authority specifically to accomplish great commission purposes. He's built us the way we are, and he's put us in the time and the place that we are so that people could seek and maybe find him. Whether you're a seeker or whether you're a helping them to find her, you're here by God's purpose for that intention of seeking and finding God. There's a great commission purpose here in what God is doing. And he's doing it sovereignly by his authority, all authority that he has given to Jesus. And so God uniquely makes us and then places us to have an influence over a certain domain of society at a certain time. Every one of you have a unique placement in society, in culture, that has been set by the trajectory of how God and his authority over biology and time and space made you and where he put you. So whether it's the lawyers or the steel workers or whoever you are, you're in your place for a reason. 
And when you stop to think about it, lawyers and steelworkers generally don't hang out in the same places, right? We need some Christian lawyers, and we need some Christian steelworkers, and we need Christian teachers, and we need Christian carpenters, and we need, you know, Christian healthcare workers, and we need Christian whatever, you name it, hockey players, right? Because the trajectory that you've been set on and what God has formed for you and your passions and put you in that place and the time and the place that he's put you has been for this purpose that people would seek God and find him. And if you don't do it on your shop floor, if you don't do it at the cami plant or if you don't do it at wherever it is that you work, well, some lawyer or some doctor is not going to show up and do it there for you. Because they're not there. They're, they're doing their thing in their domain. You have to do your thing in your domain. Teachers and farmers don't overlap a lot. right? The Starbucks crowd and the Tim Hortons crowd don't mingle all the time. And so whether you're part of the Tim Hortons crowd or part of the Starbucks crowd, or I guess the baked and battered crowd, right? that's your place. God has put you there. God's put us on this trajectory in our life with our frame and our substance and He's determined the boundaries of time and place so that some might seek and find Him even though He's not far off from any of us. Now what does that mean that He's not far off? Not because God is everywhere. Paul's not talking about He's not far off because you know God's everywhere and so people are right there close to Him or that Jesus has now drawn Him near. He's talking about the times and the places that people are put. Paul is saying that God is not far off because you're there with them. God is not far off because your trajectory has, by divine control and purpose, intercepted with their trajectory and you have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Because the path of your life has brought them across the path of their life, God is not far off. He's just right there across the table from them. He's just right there in the next cubicle from them. He's just right there down the shop line from them. Right? He's just right there nailing you know, a shingle in right beside you on the roof. He is close at hand because you're there. And Paul talks about this in Romans 10. It says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And we often use that as a missions verse. But the reality is, if you connect it with Acts chapter 17, Paul's saying the same thing. How is anybody going to know unless somebody crosses their path and actually speaks the gospel to them? How will they ever believe? And so that's the question. Unless we preach, unless we speak, and unless we realize that we have been sent in our lives into the time and place and domain that we are, then how will people come to know God? Even though He's right there at hand. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing about Christ, and God has put you next to people who need to hear about him. This is the authority of God at work for the spread of his gospel in ways and at depths that we rarely stop to ponder. I never really stopped to ponder it until I started looking into this. Until I started to wonder what it means that God is sovereign or has authority over all these things. And, and we hear that Jesus has given us all authority. And so we think we're going out with the power of Jesus. And we have the authority to uh, cast out demons or the authority to speak into people's lives or the authority to, to do these things. That's all true. But what I hope and what I want you to see, what I saw, is that the authority of Jesus goes way deeper than that. It goes way deeper than just, I'm supposed to feel like I have some sort of power come on me by Jesus, and that gives me the strength and the courage to go out and evangelize. 
The authority and the control and the sovereignty and the power of God goes way back before and deeper than that. It goes back to your biology and God working behind the biology in your mother's womb, as David said, to knit you together exactly the way you are for purposes and for days that have yet not even happened yet. And as Acts 17 says, it's the power and the authority of God that he has set the boundaries on where you will be and where you will live. God's at work behind everything. I mean, I wasn't born in Halliburton. I just got here as soon as I could, right? (laughs) That's how most of us feel now that we're here, right? We weren't born here, but we got here as soon as we could, right? But God was part of that. And you think, well, yeah, you're a pastor. You know, of course, the church called you and you felt the call of God. And, you know, you moved your family from Guelph up to Halliburton. That was clearly God's moving in your life to move you here. That's not what Acts 17 says. He doesn't say he has set the boundaries of time and place for pastors. He set the boundaries of time and place for mankind. Everybody is where they are because God has chosen sovereignly for you to be there so that some may seek and find him. And so you have aptitudes and passions and those things that put you in a certain domain, whether you're a teacher or a coach or a lawyer or a welder. And from that domain, you move in certain circles. And the argument is that all that has occurred so that you are a means to being people finding God. And so what that should do is that should change your attitude when you go to work on Monday. Right? That should change your attitude as a Christian. To, if you had no sense of purpose before, now you definitely have purpose. Because you realize that there is no accident as to why you are where you are and who you're talking to any given day of your life. God has been at work behind everything to set you up as a herald of the gospel. And God has been at work in the life of your neighbor to make him your neighbor right now. He set the time and the boundary and the place of your neighbor's life too so that you would intersect with him. So wherever you are, you need to work on understanding that God has placed you there for that reason. And work on joining God in your placement there. I mean, when I came to Halliburton, I had to start to understand that this is now where God has me. And so I had to start to talk about guns a little bit more. And, uh, you know, experiment wearing plaid shirts every now and then. And, you know, consider buying the truck. You know, like... These things had to happen because of where God had placed me. But when we as Christians have this sovereign view of how God is at work, then we start to realize we're not here by accident. And so if God has brought me here and he's put me on a trajectory for a certain reason, then how do I join him in that? How do I embrace where he's put me? Now, it's easy to embrace Halliburton. It's not always easy to embrace everywhere God's put you. Sometimes God has put you in a hard job. Or sometimes God has put you in a hard place. Sometimes God has even put you in a hard marriage. But you have to embrace that none of it is an accident and that you are fully equipped to be where God has put you because since he knit you together in the womb, he has equipped you with everything that he knew you would need to be able to serve in his mission where he placed you. And so you can't think, oh, I'm unequipped or I didn't have the tools or God didn't make me right for this or, you know, if I had somebody else's abilities or somebody else's biologies or somebody else's temperament, then I could do it. No, God saw the days that were coming and put you on that trajectory and set the boundaries of the time and the place that you would be and you are fully equipped to do exactly what God wants you to do there, which is to help people seek and find God. And so you are where you are by God's authority. Psalm 139 and Acts 17 tell us that. And that is meant for evangelism. It's meant for great commission purposes. It's meant so that people can seek and find God. 
And how do you do that is through your unique story. The final thing here that we'll talk about today that God has given you. Now, evangelism has gotten a lot of bad associations, a few really bad associations. And when I say the word evangelism, you might think of something like um, apologetics, which is just, you know, arguing for the faith or defending the faith. Or um, when I think of, talk about evangelism, you might think of a whole bunch of propositions or, or truth claims, right, to the point that evangelism just conjures up to us just sort of this one-sided monologue of arguing someone into the faith or, or simply flooding them with a series of propositions like, you know, there is a God and Jesus is his son and he died and these are all truth propositions that you must believe and if you don't believe these truth propositions then we're not going to get anywhere. And so we think of evangelism in this way. And apologetics have their place in how Christians engage in the world. We absolutely need apologetics. We need people to engage the culture intellectually on the argument for faith. That it's not just blind faith, that it's a rational faith. And, and we have to be clear that propositions are absolutely critical to the Christian faith. They're irreplaceable. Evangelism without clearly spoken truth is not really evangelism. So propositions are important. But propositions don't exist in a vacuum. Propositions or truth claims, even biblical propositions, are not given to us as a set of PowerPoint slides. You ever wonder that? I've actually wondered that a few times. You know, because as I'm preaching and making sermons, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm making all this, you know, illuminating the text a little bit, making this easier. I make PowerPoint slides and put it in points, and it's a little bit easier for us to grasp. And then I think, why didn't Jesus just do it this way? Right? Like, why isn't the Bible written as sets of PowerPoint slides so it'd be really easy to understand? Because it seems like I'm improving on it somehow. And then I'm rebuked immediately. And, uh, you know, I realize that this is why. Do you want to know why it's not that way? Why it's not just a series of propositions? Because propositions don't exist in a vacuum. Even biblical propositions are not given to us as PowerPoint slides. Their biblical propositions are delivered within the context of a narrative or a story. Stories are the place in which propositions can be rightly engaged. Just a dry list of truth claims is not going to help anybody. Stories are the context in which the truth that we possess and declare is shown to have transformative power and meaning in real circumstances and in real life. The whole Bible is a story. God has presented His propositions and His truth claims about who He is. He's presented them to us in the form of a narrative. The whole Bible is a story. God doesn't just dump the propositions on us apart from the ultimate story of His love towards us and how He is working through history to redeem for Himself a people and ultimately to heal the world. And so we need story. Story is the context for which propositions make sense. And God has given you a unique gospel life story. God, You have a story of how God has intersected your life with the truth, the proposition that He loved you and that He sent His Son to die for you and He accepts you as His child for no other reason than His grace and your faith. And so you have that story which is filled with the truth of the gospel and who God is and you have that unique story that you are meant to tell. 1 Peter 3.15, we've looked at a couple times this year actually. But it just reminds us, in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. So, so live your life and honor Christ, living as He's holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, and yet do it with gentleness and respect. That's the power of your unique story that God has only given you. 
Your story is held up as countercultural alternative to the endless false stories that are being told by our world. The endless false narratives that people try to live their life by, ultimately without hope, that we see happening all around us in our family, in our co-workers, in our neighbors. We see people trying to live out a narrative. They're trying to live out a story in their life that ultimately leaves them without hope. I mean, we hear the world's stories all the time. We're evangelized by the world constantly. Before you're even a teenager, you will have heard hundreds of thousands of 30-second stories, each of which is, has embedded within that little 30-second story a very deliberate truth proposition. Right? It's, if you use this detergent, your clothes will be whiter. But even more subtly, and more importantly, you'll get that promotion at work. Because your boss is impressed with how crisp your shirt is and clean your collar is, right? You know, if you drink this health shake, you're going to have six-pack abs. But even more subtly and more directly, apparently spend a lot of time with your shirt off laughing with your wife in an apartment that you could never afford, clearly. Right? This is what these stories tell you. This is the story. This is the narrative of the world evangelizing you 30 seconds at a time. It's telling you a story with a truth proposition built into it. If you drink this beer and drive this truck, attractive women will be drawn to you. That's the narrative that we're told day in, day out, 30 seconds at a time. And those are all stories that are making propositions to you. They're all trying to convince you of what is true. And people are deceived daily by even the most transparent of those lies. But they are trapped regularly by far more serious narratives in our culture. The false narrative that my joy is dependent on the acquisition of material goods. right? The false narrative that I am a worthy person who has self-worth because I'm liked of and approved by other people. That my worth comes from them approving of me and liking me. That somehow I will be satisfied and have happiness in my life if I can get revenge on the people that have hurt me. These are all narratives that are far more sinister than just the television commercials that we see. But they're narratives that people actually try to live their life by. And they are hopeless narratives. They are hopeless stories. They're deceived. But your story, our story, is the context in which real truth of the Bible is shared. There's one gospel, one God. And our story stands against all the false stories of the world and it says, here is what my life has been like with God. Here is how the truth I know has changed my life and here is how it can change yours. You're seeking for something and you're groping. Acts 17 literally says they are groping and seeking and some of them might find God if you would tell your story. This is where real joy and real healing is. So evangelism is living out our story. Yes, we do need to live out our story, but we also have to tell our story. Our life story is the narrative. It's the context in which the truth of God and the gospel is proclaimed. There's only one gospel. There's only one truth, but there are millions of unique stories where that one truth is meant to be shared. And God has given you the gift of your unique story. I can't tell your story. I can only tell mine. God and the gospel receive glory by every unique instance of their being told in all those different stories. If you don't tell your story, then that gospel story never gets told. So we come back and we look and we see what Jesus has said here in Matthew 18, 
28.18. He says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so what I hope is that you're encouraged by that. Be encouraged. Literally take courage. That all authority of God on heaven and on earth is in Jesus and it's at work in your life. You have been uniquely made and you have been uniquely placed to tell your story. God has made you exactly the way you are meant to be. And God has placed you exactly where you are meant to be. And only you can tell your unique gospel story. That's the mission that we're called to. But we are fully equipped and properly placed to do it. Let's pray.